Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And the reading is uh, verse 9 to 22, not 7. Um, Though actually, I think I will read from verse 7. (laughs) Now that I mention it. Let's let's hear God's word to us. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I shall establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, uh, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Well, I, uh, I tentatively, tentatively called this sermon uh, The Promise of God When the World is Falling Apart. Uh, when the world is falling apart. Not your, necessarily your world is falling apart, but the world generally is falling apart. Now, I've been a, I've been a Christian for... Uh, over 40 years now, and uh, throughout all of that time, there have always been cries to say, the world is falling apart, uh, the world is uh, going uh, to rot, it's uh, uh, destroying itself, uh, especially as society is becoming progressively less Christian. And if you look over the last 20 years or so, there have been enormous changes uh, in all kinds of ways in society, in politics, uh, in the general moral state of of the country. Uh, Even in the last 10 years, there have been huge changes uh, in our country. 
But it's not new. Uh, but it's but this is not new. And I think that every generation that uh, in every age has believed that everything is falling apart. So it's probably true. I was trying to find a quote from uh, I think it was the 12th century or something about uh, some venerable person commenting on how the youth of today just don't know authority anymore. Well, you know, it's a very modern thought, isn't it? Uh, and I couldn't find the quote, but uh, it's it's not a new idea. Now, I say all that not to not to normalise what we're currently living through, but rather just to, to point out just how relevant a passage like Genesis chapter 6 is to us. Uh, and, and, and so the question for us as Christians is, how do we live in a world that is falling apart around us? How do we, how do we continue? And that's, I think, the situation that Noah found himself in. Um, here's a man, and uh, we, we found this last week, uh, verse 8. Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. And as we'll, we'll see, Noah walks with God. Uh, Noah has a relationship to God. And yet the world around him is described in this way. Verse 5 that we saw last week. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's a great statement of total depravity. It's, uh, every every uh, thought of an intention of the human heart is... Uh, uh, is, is present. There's no, no aspect of the human condition uh, or human constitution that is untouched by uh, evil. It's not, it doesn't mean that uh, we're as evil as we can possibly be, but it just means everything's tainted. So the wickedness of man is, is visible to all, but what that teaches us, of course, is that the source of that wickedness is in the hidden part of man. It's in, in the heart where every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it's because the root is so bad that the fruit that appears in public is so bad as well. Well, as we saw last time, God sees this. He knows this. Uh, even even sees into the heart of man. And uh, what's he going to do about it? Well, with great sorrow and with great, great grieving of the heart, as Genesis puts it, God decrees judgment in verses 6 and 7. And in this chapter and in the next, we'll see that God is going to bring a flood, a flood that is going to make an end of all flesh. But that's not all he's going to do. Because at the very centre of God's eye and his eye line is Noah. And Noah and his family are going to be saved, even though everyone else is going to be destroyed. And so this is a passage that shows God saving when the world is facing judgment. And that's always the way with God. Where there is judgment, there is always a way of salvation. And I want to just look with you at three things in this passage. Firstly, to look at Noah as a man walking against the flow, as it were, in verses 9 and 10. Then secondly, I want to get to the central issue of the passage, which is God's gracious covenant in verse 18. And so with judgment, there is also salvation. 
But then thirdly, to look at Noah's response to God's grace uh, in the very last verse, in verse 22. So first of all, Noah, a man walking against the flow. A man walking against the flow and walking with God. We saw last time that Noah has a relationship with God already. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And notice that that was a relationship, and we saw saw this last week, it's a relationship of grace and favor. Uh, In other words, it was not something that Noah established. It was not something that Noah uh, worked his way up to. Uh, but rather, it was one that God established. God gave his grace. And uh, otherwise, it wouldn't be grace, would it? Uh, that's what is meant. Grace and favor is a voluntary act on the part of God to, to sh- reach out and uh, to, uh, uh, to human beings. And we saw that, uh, therefore, Noah's mode of living in that relationship was to exercise faith in God. Uh, So God's grace on the one side and and Noah's faith on the other. Uh, So that's from Hebrews 11 verse 7. By By faith, Noah did everything that he did. And so having established that relationship where Noah is an object of God's grace and lives in faith, God sets about blessing Noah and pouring himself into him, as it were. And three things are, dis- are, you- are described of Noah in verses 9 and 10. Firstly, he's a righteous man. He is a righteous man. In other words, he is in the right with God. Uh, God holds nothing against him. And that's the glorious thing about grace, isn't it? That God's grace is so able to, to change a life that he can accept the human being as being righteous, not because of anything that the man and the woman has done themselves, but because God is able to do it himself. This is what righteousness is. It's a, it's a gift of God. Now at this point, Noah may not have been able to say with any great clarity how that could possibly happen. He himself would be maybe aware of his inner personal sins and could ask himself how he's going to get right with God. But somehow he found favour with God. And no doubt as he trusted God, God gave him that sense of assurance that he was in the right with God. And as we look back today, we can perhaps see how that might have happened. God gives his promise in Genesis 3.15. Remember to Adam and Eve, actually to the serpent, but Adam and Eve were listening in about the promise of a seed who is going to come. And God is going to do some great act of uh, salvation that would destroy the seed of the serpent. And we know that that is fulfilled as Jesus Christ came into the world to destroy the power of the devil and cancel the debt of sin that is owed to God. Uh, for all those who set, whom, on, upon whom God has set his grace. And Jesus' righteousness, therefore, would become our righteousness as a gift through faith. By imputation, there's a big word. <laughs> Imputing, reckoning to our account uh, something that isn't actually ours, but it's put on our account, as it were. And that's the great work of Jesus for us. Reckoning to our accounts his righteousness and God's righteousness. And so through faith, even though maybe Noah couldn't articulate everything about God's saving ways, 
he would know for sure that he has been accepted by God and counted as righteous. So Noah is a righteous man. But that's not all. Because a second thing happens to Noah. He becomes blameless. And this is about the outworking of that life with God that now begins to manifest itself. See, you see, people who come to know God are changed by God. They cannot remain the same. And thus the change that's described here is blamelessness. In other words, there is no one who could bring an accusation against Noah for wrongdoing. So blamelessness, it changes your life. Uh, That righteousness that is imputed to us, it actually begins to work itself out in a practical righteousness. And then the third thing that can be said of Noah is that he walked with God. So Noah didn't just merely experience a righteous state. You know, he's got a certificate now. Uh, Nor does he live a life of arid conformity to God's will. But he walks with God. He lives his life with God. He, he speaks with God as a friend speaks with a friend. He shares his joys and sorrows. He seeks God's help and he gets it. And he expresses his thankfulness for all the gifts of God. So Noah just walks with God in his life. Now, just imagine Noah in this fallen world. And, and that fallenness is further described in verse, verse 11. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And here's Noah, and maybe with his family, uh, who might be joining him and walking with God. And Noah offers sacrifices, maybe as Abel did, and has passed down the generations through the line of Seth, perhaps, uh, right down to Noah. And so Noah, Noah is in the habit, perhaps, of offering sacrifices to God. And Noah is in that privileged position where he just seems to have that communication with God, where God seems to be able to, to speak to Noah. One of the many diverse ways that Hebrews 1.1 speaks of, that God has revealed himself. And here's one of them. God speaks with Noah personally. Now you think about Noah in that situation with that religious practice and that relationship with God in a world that's falling apart and filled with violence. Don't you think Noah would stand out? He would stand out a mile. He would be unusual. What would people think of him? What kind of pressures might they start to put on him to follow the evil intentions of their hearts? To do as they do? To become apathetic towards God? To just go with the flow and not worry too much about God? To not be too committed to God? After all, there are too many other things to care about. Don't you think that as Noah walks with God, he would stand out amongst his neighbours? That he'd be different? That he might be thought of as an oddball, a weirdo, a religious man? I'm sure he would. 
And friends, I need to, you know, it's, it's hard to go against the flow, isn't it? It's hard for us to go against the flow. It's hard for us to put God first. And you, are, you and I are put in a, a collision course with the world around us. You know, have you ever tried to walk down a busy street? I know it's, we've forgotten over the last year what a busy street looks like. But, you know, remember the times when you used to walk down a busy street and uh, it seemed as though everybody was coming against you and going the opposite direction. It's really hard going, isn't it? Uh, that's what it's like to be a Christian in the world today. To walk with God is to, to stand out from the crowd. And I just ask you this morning, are you ready to stand out like Noah did? Have you discovered the joy of walking with him and are now willing to live for him that will overcome all of those kind of barriers, all of those kind of uh, temptations and influences of the world because God is so precious to you that you're willing to give up anything for him. So Noah was a man that walked against the flow. But secondly, here's the second heading. My, My heading is this, salvation when there's judgment. And I'm really just focusing on verse 18 here, but I, I, I want you to just walk through the, the verses surrounding verse 18. So verse 18 says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. What about the, let's walk through the verses that are surrounding this. And in verse 13, God declares his judgment. Uh, verse 13, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the, the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Uh, God intends to make an end of all flesh. And he is referring here to all people created in the image of God. Now, some of us might be horrified by that. Why would God do such a thing? But remember the state that human beings have got into. Verse 5. All the thoughts... Uh, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And verse 11 as well. And we need to remember that God in his holiness hates sin. He hates it. It's both an affront to who he is... And it's terrible for the earth. And just as God has the power and the rights to give life, so he has the power and the rights to take it away. Then and now, that is the gift of God. And so God then moves on from that. And he gives instructions to Noah to build an ark in verses 14 to 16. Uh, A boat, a big boat. And it's to be huge. It's 300 cubits, uh, which is about 150 yards, 450 feet. (laughs) I know you Europeans, you're (laughs) chuckling away. (laughs) 300 cubits, it's about, okay, down to earth uh, scale. It's just a bit bigger than Wembley, Wembley football pitch. If you go from the, the front row at one end to the front row at the other end, that's about the length of uh, uh, the, the ark. It's huge. And it's to be made of wood. And, you know, as a former engineer, I think, how on earth do you make such a huge, huge boat made of wood that's structurally sound and is going to cope with all the stresses and strains of being on the, on the sea? Somebody tried to make one recently. I think it was somebody told me. 
Uh, but it was declared to be unseaworthy because for that very reason, it's really difficult to make one. Think of all the, the technological innovations that you have to, to uh, invent, the trial and error that you need to, to try and make it work. And thankfully, you had 120 years to work it out. And then we come to the, the promise that's made to Noah. Firstly, there's a promise of judgment in verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy the flesh uh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that's on the earth shall die. And then in verse 18, there's a promise of salvation. So you see this, uh, there's a promise of judgment and a promise of salvation at the same time. Um, I will establish my covenant with you, uh, and so on. And here's, here's the first time that the word covenant is, is mentioned in Scripture. It's not the first time the thing has been present in Scripture. It's been in the Garden of Eden, actually. But it's not been described as a covenant. But the thing is there. Um, but now it's explicitly mentioned. And you remember that God made a promise in the Garden of Eden. He, uh, he promised that a seed would come to crush the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman. And uh, you remember how God has been at work since then in the line of Seth down to Noah and facing in the face of the increasing evil in the world. So God has been at work from the promise all the way through the lines of Seth, uh, the, the generations of Seth. And, and this covenant is like the latest feature to unfurl as the seed of the promise given in 3.15 begins to grow. So now the promise takes on more shape uh, with Noah in verse 18. God is making a covenant promise. And so God is continuing to unfold his saving purposes throughout history through this covenant. <laughs> He's a vigorous man. He'd make a great preacher. <laughs> <laughs> but the final part of this uh, uh, of God's word to Noah is uh, so the second part of the promise is that you, you, your wife and your sons and your sons' wives go into the ark uh, so this is the promise of salvation so the covenant is being made and the promise is going to be made of salvation for Noah and his family interesting isn't it that Noah is the man that walks with God and explicitly mentioned and yet his full family is included uh, this is how God works in covenant he gathers the children and the families and the, house, and the household together and he blesses them. So then the final part of the, the words uh, to Noah is various statements about the animals and the food that they are to store in verses 19 to 21, so we'll skip over that. Now I've already hinted that uh, this covenant is the next phase in this bigger plan of redemption. And ultimately that plan will lead to the saving work of Jesus Christ. But I want us to understand that what we read here about Noah and this plan of salvation for him and his family from, from the judgment to come is a trailer, if you like, for a much bigger judgment that's to come and a much, much greater salvation to come. You might like to turn to 1, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And you need to find it. <laughs> and uh, it's a, it's a, uh, verses 18 to 20, Noah is mentioned by Peter. 
And Peter here is speaking about uh, Jesus' death and his resurrection, his death for sins and his resurrection from the dead. And then puzzlingly, he mentions Noah. It seems to come out of the blue. And he mentions his ark and the eight people who are being safely brought through the water. And then maybe puzzlingly again, he begins to speak about baptism, Christian baptism, as having the power to save through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of moving parts to that, uh, that passage. I, I don't have time to go into all the moving parts of it. And maybe you've got questions about it. Put them to one side for a moment. Because I think the essence of this is that Christian baptism signifies our union with Jesus Christ, who himself underwent a baptism, an ordeal of baptism. This is why Peter, uh, Jesus says to his disciples in, in Mark 10, you remember Mark 10? The, the disciples are trying to uh, uh, get a place in heaven next to Jesus. And Jesus says to them, Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And what he's referring to there is his death, his suffering. So his death is a, is a baptism. And that's what our baptism signifies. That we die with Christ and we are raised to life with Christ, as Romans chapter 6 tells us. But here Peter, in 1 Peter 3, says this baptism of Jesus and his death and resurrection by which we are saved, Peter says, corresponds to the story of Noah. In other words, Noah and the flood and the salvation is a picture of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And so the flood and the salvation of Noah and his family helps us to understand more about all that Jesus has done for us. You see, God is within his rights to bring judgment upon a wicked generation. But at the same time, he provides a way of salvation. That's true for us, as it was for Noah. And Jesus says in Matthew twenty-four thirty-seven, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So there is a judgment to come, says Jesus, and it comes when the Son of Man returns. And the flood that is coming to Noah foreshadows that greater judgment that is yet to come with Jesus. And correspondingly, the salvation of Noah corresponds to the greater salvation of those who are gathered up into Christ Jesus. Jesus, if you like, is like, is like an ark. And we go into him, and in him we are saved. And any who want to come to him may come to him. And the door is always open. It's like he is the door through which you pass to enter into safety. In fact, Jesus said that once, didn't he? I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10, verse 9. Friends, this is what the covenant with Noah will eventually grow up to be. The covenant through Jesus Christ. The new covenant in the name of Christ. And today, the good news of Jesus' salvation is proclaimed to the world and people are being saved by entering in through the door of Jesus Christ. 
and we can enter. We can find refuge in Him. We can find safety in Him. We can be saved if we come to Jesus Christ. Well, there's a, a postscript to this story of Noah, which we come, come to, we come to in the last verse. Noah did this, did all that God commanded. He did all that God commanded him. And here we see a man responding to God's grace. I've no doubt that Noah, sometimes we can sanitize the stories of the Bible, um, just treat them as abstract stories. But I've no doubt that Noah himself must have been bowled over by the word from God, like he's just heard in verses 13 to 21. I mean, that if he's walking with God, he would know that the world around him was getting worse. If he knew God at all, he might suspect that there might be some sort of reckoning at some point. But, you know, the years tick by and nothing actually happens. Just imagine it. The years tick by, the years tick by, things get worse and worse, and nothing much happens. God seems to be silent and absent. And it might have been easy for Noah to just have an attitude of knuckling down with grim determination and keep walking with God. And then this thing happens. God speaks to him and gives him these instructions and speaks of this awful judgment that's to come and and this wonderful promise of salvation. Now was Noah then to just kind of put that promise in the bank for some future date and then just carry on as he normally did? I ask that because, because sometimes that's what people think about Christianity. You know, you hear the gospel, you hear the promises, you hear the offer of eternal life, you bank it like you've got the ticket now, and, but I'll just carry on as I did before. I'll just carry on living as I did before. Because after all, Jesus has saved me. I've met many people like that over the years, the 40 years of Christian life, who still believe that they're going to be saved even though they don't walk with God. So did Noah do that? Did he just listen and nod and then get back to normal? No, of course he didn't. It was a life-changing event for Noah. Uh, He suddenly knew what his life was for. He knew what his purpose was. He had to do everything that God commanded. This was his task, to build the ark, to gather food, to round up animals, to prepare for the coming judgment. There was nothing more important to him. And friends, this is no less true when you and I, we hear the gospel and put our faith in Jesus Christ as Saviour. That our lives will never be the same when we receive Jesus as Saviour. Our lives may be turned upside down, they may be turned inside out, they may radically change our priorities in life, but suddenly a clarity about your life and your direction comes when you come to Jesus and you hear God's word to you. And whatever else you do in life, you must give yourself to obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what happens when somebody becomes a Christian. That's what true faith looks like. It's not a dead faith that sits and waits. It's it's a living faith that gets to work, doing everything to the glory of God, doing all that God has commanded. This faith gets to work. gets busy. I just ask you today, have you come to faith in Christ? And you will know that you have because you're eager to work for him, for his glory. And when the Apostle Paul met the risen Jesus as he fell to the ground on the road to Damascus, his first words were, and this is in the King James Version, he says, what will you have me to do? 
What will you have me to do? Or when the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on the throne of the temple, after he had been assured that his sins had been atoned for, he said to the Lord, Here I am, Lord, send me. There's work to be done. This is what happens when someone has dealings with God that lead you into the way of salvation. You begin to, your life changes and you begin to do all that he's commanded. And you get to work. You ready to get to work this morning? To get to work in serving the Lord and bringing glory to his name. And finding your place in the body of Christ and serving him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the story of Noah and thank you for his life and testimony. And we pray, Father, that you'd help us to, uh, to imitate him in walking with God, in knowing your righteousness, and living blameless lives, and doing all that you've commanded. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.